0: We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi the fifth and final piece in Hilchos Eidos. This is Paragraf Aleph Halacha Tess. And this is a very cute and brilliant piece from Rab Chaim where he answers a question of Tosfos about whether Remiza hinting at someone is considered a valid piece of evidence or not. And Rab Chaim is going to distinguish two different cases and explain how that halacha plays out in both of them. The Rambam rait If two witnesses testify that a Jew sold another Jew. So let's say they say that Reuven sold Shimon and then they turn out to be Edim Zomimin, false witnesses. So they lied. Now there are no witnesses that testify that Reuven kidnapped Shimon. So we have witnesses that Reuven sold Shimon but we don't have witnesses that he kidnapped Shimon. So the Edim Zomimin are exempt. They do not get the death penalty which is what they were trying to give Give if a Jew kidnaps and sells another Jew, so he gets the death penalty. But in this case, the false witnesses do not get the death penalty. <speaking in Hebrew> because they were never actually going to give Ruvain the death penalty. <speaking in Hebrew> because he could say, Shimon is my slave. So we have no testimony that Shimon is a free person that he kidnapped. So he could say, yes, I sold Shimon, but he's my slave, so I had a right to. <speaking in> Bo <Hebrew> edegne, Now, if after this story, so we know that these were Edom Zomimin, and then another set of witnesses come, and they testify that Ruvain kidnapped Shimon. So now, in this case, Ruvain would have gotten killed theoretically, because there are two sets of witnesses. One is saying that he kidnapped, and one is saying that he sold Shimon. So even so, even so, the Edom Zomimin do not get killed, and the Rambam adds, even if we saw the two sets of witnesses gesturing to each other. So they seem to know each other and there seems to be a grand conspiracy between all four witnesses to get Reuven killed. Two of them are going to say that he kidnapped. Two of them are going to say that he sold Shimon. But even so, we don't combine their testimony. And since the witnesses who testified that Reuven sold Shimon would not have given him the death penalty on their own, so they do not get the death penalty. So that's the halacha in the Rambam. Now, this comes from the Gemara in Sanhedrin, If there are Edim Zomimin who testify that Ruvain sold Shimon, they don't get killed because Ruvain could always say, Shimon is my slave. So the Gemara asks, If there are no witnesses that testify that he killed Shimon, so that seems obvious, of course the Edim Zomimin are not going to get killed because Ruvain would never have gotten killed killed. So the Gemara answers even though the witnesses that he kidnapped Shimon did come at the end still the Edim on the sale don't get killed. So the Gemara asks but still this seems obvious because when the first witnesses testified they were not going to get Ruven killed. So this halacha is still obvious so the Gemara says they were all gesturing to each other so it seemed like the first set of witnesses was expecting the second set of witnesses. Mahu Ramiza We would have thought that gesturing is considered something in halacha. So we learn from this halacha of Rav Asi that gesturing does not have a status in halacha. So that's the way the Gemara explains this halacha, that it's obvious that the witnesses that he sold Shimon are not going to get killed on their own unless they're combined with another set who says that Reuven kidnapped Shimon. But in in this case, the two witnesses came separately, but they were gesturing to each other, so it seemed like they knew each other. And the idea of this halacha is that we don't make assumptions that they were working together, even though they seem to know each other. So now Tos asks on the conclusion in the Gemara in Sanhedrin that Remiza gesturing to people is not a status in Halacha. We don't make assumptions based on that from the Gemara in Babakamach of Daladamad Beis, which concludes the other way that Remiza is a valid. Status in halacha. The case over there is that there's a shor muad, which means an ox that gored three times, and there are three different sets of witnesses who each testified about a different one of the gorings. And then it turns out that they were Zomamin. So the Gemara says that they all have to pay. So the Gemara asks, well, why can't they say we didn't know about the other two sets of witnesses that were going to make this animal muad? So the Gemara answers, all the witnesses were gesturing to each other. So we see from here that gesturing is considered valid evidence that they're all working together. So these two Gemaras seem to contradict each other. In Sanhedrin, the conclusion is that Ramiza is not a valid way of assessing information, whereas in Babakama, the Gemara says that it is. So Tosos offers two answers. The first is that there is a difference between different forms of Ramiza. So a person could be gesturing to someone else, and it becomes clear that they really know this person. Or it could be that it's just a misunderstanding. It looks like they're connected in some way, but they're not. So that's the difference between these two Gemaras. In Babakama, it's talking about a real remiza, not just one random gesture to each other, but all the witnesses show up in court together every day and they're talking to each other. So it's very clear that this is one group that's working together. So their remiza is a valid way of assessing what's going on. The case in Sanhedrin, though, is a much worse remiza. Someone makes a sign to someone else, but it's not clear that they really know each other and that they're doing this together. So there the Gemara says that this low form of remiza is not a valid way of assessing that they're together. So that's Tostas' first distinction. Then he says that there's a difference between Dine Nefashos and Dine Mamonos, whether the case is a capital punishment versus financial punishment. We're stricter in capital punishments. So there the Gemara says that remiza is not valid evidence, but in financial cases, which are less severe... So, remiza is valid evidence. Now, the rambam in the previous halacha rules that remiza is valid evidence in the case of the shorhamuad. And in this halacha nine, he rules that remiza is not valid evidence in the case of Adam Zomimin that Ruvein sold Shimon. And he doesn't differentiate like Tosvos did between a better or a worse remiza. So it sounds like the remiza in both cases are equivalent and still it's a factor in the shorhamuad odd case but not in the Reuven-Sold-Shimon case. So what's the difference? So the Kesef Mishnah explains very simply that the Rambam follows the second approach of Tosvos, that there's a difference between capital cases versus financial cases. So that's the difference between these two halachas. So the Kesef Mishnah very simply says that the Rambam agrees with the second approach of Tosvos. But Rab Chaim now suggests a more conceptual answer to answer Tosvos' question so that there's no contradiction between these guys. Gemara's. And he starts with a question. The Gemara is saying that if the witnesses on the sale come first... ...followed by the witnesses on the kidnapping... ...so then the witnesses on the sale are not Edim Zomimin. But in the reverse, if the witnesses on the kidnapping come... ...and then the witnesses on the sale... ...so then the witnesses on the kidnapping are Edim Zomimin. Says Rab Chaim, what is the difference in these two cases? Both the kidnapping and the sale on their own... ...do not get the death penalty. Only together would Ruvain get the death penalty. But if he did only one of them, he doesn't get the death penalty... So why should the witnesses on the kidnapping get the death penalty for being Edim Zomimin when their testimony on its own without the ede Mechira would not have given Ruvain the death penalty? Says Rab Chaim, there's a basic difference between the Eide Geneva and the Eide Mechira. When it comes to Geneva, even if the person didn't sell Shimon afterwards, but the fact that he kidnapped him means that he began this crime. Because the first step in selling a hostage is kidnapping them to begin with so the Ede Geneva who say that he kidnapped Shimon are saying a substantial testimony even if it was not going to end up as a death penalty case because there were no Ede Mechira but the fact that Ruvain kidnapped Shimon according to these witnesses means that he did the first step in a crime which could lead to the death penalty if there are Ede Mechira so that's why the Ede Geneva are held responsible for their testimony because they tried to start off this process as opposed to the flip case where the Ede Mechira come first and only later the Ede Geneva so the Ede Mechira on their own do nothing it's not just that they testified about half the crime they actually testified about nothing because Reuven could just say yes I sold Shimon but he's my slave so I had the right to sell him so the Ede Mechira alone are actually not testifying to any crime because there's a simple Simple explanation for why Ruven sold Shimon so that's why if there's no a Geneva the A de are not held responsible because their testimony on its own loses all its force So that's the basic difference between a de Geneva versus A de Mechira when they come separately. So that's why the Gemara differentiates that if the Ede Geneva come first and only later the Ede Mechira, so if the Eide Geneva are Edim Zomimin, they do get punished. As opposed to the Eide Mechira first and only later the Ede Geneva, so even if the Ede Mechira are Edim Zomimin, they can't get punished because their testimony on its own was really worthless. And Rab proves this distinction from the Ushalmi in Babakama, Kama, Zayn Halacha, Gimel, The case there is someone who steals an animal and then slaughters it. So to make this thief pay the fine of four or five times the value of the animal, both of these witnesses are necessary. So the Yerushalmi says, if the ede tivicha, the witnesses that he slaughtered it, come first, and then the ede Geneva, the witnesses that he stole it. So Amar lehem havu yodim shikvarbo ede tivicha veloki balnum. So we tell the witnesses that he stole the animal. That the witnesses that he He slaughtered it already came, but we didn't accept their testimony because it was useless testimony because who cares that he slaughtered an animal? Maybe it was his animal. So now that these new witnesses are coming to testify that he stole that animal, so they are going to obligate him. So the Yerushalmi rules that if it turns out that the Edei Geneva or Edim zomamin, they are the ones that have to pay. Not the first set of witnesses because they didn't actually do anything. The second set of witnesses who tried to make this person pay the fines of stealing and slaughtering an animal, they have to shoulder the entire punishment of the payment on their own. So Rab Chaim asks, what about the Gemara in Babakama Chavdal Ramadbeiz in the case where there are three sets of witnesses that this animal gored three times and became a Shor Hamuad? So there the Gemara ruled that if all three sets of witnesses are Edim Zomimin, they split up the final payment for the third goring that they were trying to force this person to pay. So there the Gemara does not say that the third set of witnesses who were gonna finalize this animal as a Shor they have to shoulder the whole payment burden, and the first two are off the hook because their testimony on its own would not have made this animal a Shor There, the Bavli says that all three sets of witnesses have to pay together because they all conspired together to make this animal a Shor So, why does the Ushalmi say that only the second set of witnesses has to pay the whole? fine. And the first set of witnesses is totally off the hook. Says Rab Chaim again, because there's the same distinction. Ede Tevicha, witnesses that someone slaughtered an animal on their own, are not giving any useful testimony because the person could easily say, yes, I slaughtered the animal, but it's my animal. So they're not saying anything that would obligate this person at all until the Eide Geneva show up. Once the witnesses say that he stole the animal, so then he becomes obligated. But the only one that's obligating this thief are only the second set of witnesses. So if they're Zomamin, they have to pay the fine entirely on their own. As opposed to Shor Hamuad, even though the owner doesn't have to pay the full damages until the third goring, but it's not correct to say that the first two gorings are nothing, the first witnesses who testified about those supposed First two Gorings are accomplishing something. They're setting the stage for this animal to become a sharhamuad. So even before the third set of witnesses comes and finalizes the status of Shorhamuad, the first two sets of witnesses did accomplish something with their testimony. It's not useless testimony. So if it turns out that they're all Zomamin, they all have to split the bill of what they tried to do together. So again, this emphasizes the point that there are some false testimonies, like Ruvain soul Shimon or Ruvain slaughtered an animal which are useless on their own because the person has the right to do those things until it turns out that they stole or kidnapped the person or the animal. But that's different than testimony that they kidnapped someone or that someone's ox gored another animal because that testimony, even though it doesn't accomplish the full goal of these false witnesses, but it is considered testimony. So there is some responsibility even for those earlier witnesses. So that's the first step of Rab Chaim's answer. Now he adds in another step. He says, in order for Edim Zomimin to get punished with Kasher Zomam for what they tried to do, they need to meet two criteria. Number one is they need to give testimony which is effective. As the Mishnah says, The only time the Edim Zomimin get punished is when the judgment was completed based on their testimony. So their testimony needs to be effective. And second, they need to have intention to cause harm to this person. Without intention, they also don't get punished. And that's based on the Gemara and Sanhedrin Mem Aleph. That if witnesses falsely testify that a Naira mu'rasa, an engaged woman, had an adulterous affair. So there's two things that might have happened to her. She might have gotten the death penalty. Or if she wasn't getting the death penalty, she would have been prohibited to her husband. So, the false witnesses in that case do not get the death penalty because they could say our intention was to prohibit her to her husband, not to give her the death penalty. So, we see that intention, what they were trying to accomplish, is a factor in what punishment they get. And that's based on the language of the Torah kasher zomam lasos. The Torah describes the punishment as what they intended to do to the other person. So, intention is a necessary requirement to give them that punishment and the Yerushalmi that Rab Chaim quoted above also leads to the same conclusion because the court has to tell the Ede Geneva, the witnesses who are testifying that he stole the animal that there were already Ede Tvicha witnesses that he slaughtered the animal. So we're trying to make clear to the witnesses what their testimony is going to affect so that if they're Edim Zomamin they will get that punishment. But if they don't intend the outcome of their testimony so then they they don't get that punishment if they're Adem Zomimin. So now, if we apply all this back to Tosvos's question, so Rab Chaim has a brilliant answer. Tosvos asks that the Gemara in Sanhedrin and Babakama seem to contradict each other. In Sanhedrin, it says that Remiza gesturing is not valid evidence as to intention, whereas in Babakama it says that it is. Says Rab Chaim, if we put together these two pieces of information that he gave us, so we can explain both Gemaras and we'll see that there is no Contradiction. The Gemara in Babakama is talking about where two sets of witnesses testified that this animal gored another animal. So that is valid testimony. As Rab Chaim said, even if the third set of witnesses don't come, the first two have accomplished something with their testimony. So when the Gemara in Babakama asks why are the first two sets of witnesses considered Adim Zomamin, it doesn't mean that their testimony was ineffective, because in fact their testimony Testimony was effective. What the Gemara means is the second component of Adam Zomamin is missing. Even though they gave effective testimony, but they did not intend to make the owner pay full damages, they only intended to have him pay half damages of a Tom. So, how can we apply Kasher Zomam to witnesses who did not intend to make this person pay the full damages of a HaMuad? So the Gamarin Babakama is asking specifically that the second component of Aidim is missing the intention, even though it was effective testimony. So on that, the Gemara answers that there was remiza; They were gesturing to each other. So we see that all of the witnesses did have intention to make this person pay full damages for the third goring. So since there was intention as well as effective testimony, they're all Adem Zomimin. So remiza can accomplish telling us about their intention. On the other hand, the Gamarin Sanhedrin is dealing with a different situation because in that case, the Eide Mechira who came first, their testimony was totally useless without the Eide Geneva because Ruben could say, yes, I sold Shimon but he's my slave. So the first testimony accomplished nothing. So the reason those first witnesses are not Edim Zomimin is not because they were missing intention, it's because they didn't give effective Edos to begin with. So that's why the Gemara says that even though they were gesturing with the other witnesses, so we do know about their intention, that much is consistent from Babakama to Sanhedrin, that if someone gestures, we learn about their intention. And even the Gemara in Sanhedrin agrees with that, but that's not enough to change this case and to make them Edim Zomamin because their whole testimony to begin with is ineffective. So even if we know that they had intention to cause damage because of Ramiza, but since their whole testimony didn't, nothing, so they can't be Adem Zomamin. So that explains the difference between Sanhedrin and Babakama. Neither Gemara is denying that Ramiza tells us valid evidence about the witness's intentions. Both Gemaras accept that, so there is no contradiction. But in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, we're missing an effective testimony, so intention is not enough to make them Adem Zomamin, as opposed to Babakama, where they did give valid testimony. We just don't know if their intention was to damage the victim. So there remiza tells us about their intentions and they become Edim Zomimin. So a very brilliant answer from Rab Chaim to tosus's question and an explanation of these two Gemaras. So based on this approach, says Rab Chaim, that explains why the Rambam does not differentiate between the levels of Ramiza in these two cases because the Rambam read the Gemara in a conceptual way. So in both cases, it's the same level of Ramiza, but still in the case of Shor Hamuad in Halakha it does make them all Edim Zomamin, and in the case of ede mechira in Halacha it does not turn them into Edim Zomamin based on the idea that Rab Chaim explained. And now, in the end, Rab Chaim adds one more point, which is that the simple reading of this Rambam actually indicates that he has a totally different solution to Tosus' question. Because the Rambam seems to explain that the case of the Gemara is talking about where the ede mechira come, and then they become Edim Zomamin, and And then the Ede Geneva come. So there the Gemara says that the first Ede Mechira are not punished. But it seems that according to the Rambam, if the Ede Mechira would come, followed by the Ede Geneva, then the Eide Mechira would be Zomimin. So this itself answers Tostas' question. Because the Gemara in Babakama is talking about where all the witnesses came first, and then they became Zomimin, as opposed to Sanhedrin, where the Ede Mechira became Zomimin before the Ede Geneva ever came. So, of course, the Eide Mechira cannot be Ede Zomamin in this case. So, there seems to be a much simpler answer to Tosus' question based on this Rambam. But, says Rab Chaim, this version of the Rambam doesn't work because it doesn't make sense. Because the Halacha is that Ede Zomamin don't get punished unless the judgment was finished based on their testimony. Now, if the Eide Mechira come and then they become Zomamin, and then the Eide Geneva come, so, of course, none of them get punished. Because there was no Gmardin, the court never finalized the judgment based on these witnesses, because by the time the Eide Geneva came, the Edei Mechira were already Zomamin. So the whole halacha doesn't make any sense if that's the case. So it must be, says Rab Chaim, that there is a different version of the Rambam, where instead of the word Achar Zomu after they became Zomamin, instead it says Achar Shehei Idu, after they testified. So the Rambam is not saying this at all, that after the Eide Mechira became Zomamin, then the Geneva came, the Rambam is saying that after the Edei Mechira He'idu, after they testified, before they became Zomamin, the Edei Geneva came, so that's exactly the case as Tosfos understood it. And Rab Chaim says that there is an older version manuscript of the Rambam which says that, He'idu. So this is unusual in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi to be quoting manuscripts, but Rab Chaim prefers that version of the Rambam because it makes sense after the Edei came, then the Edei Geneva came, then the Court finished the judgment, and then it turned out that they were zomimin. And the Rambam says that the Eide mechira do not get punished based on Rab Chaim's explanation. So the Rambam and Tosos understand the case similarly, but Rab Chaim has an answer to Tosos' question, which explains why the Rambam records both of these halachas without differentiating the level of Ramiza. So that is Rab Chaim's explanation for the Rambam, a very brilliant piece and a very brilliant answer to Tosvos. The key conceptual ideas that Rab Chaim develops are the two components to become an Eid Zomeim, that it requires effective testimony as well as intention. And Rab Chaim also differentiates between two types of testimony. One is eid Mechira, that Ruvain sold Shimon, or eid tviha Tvicha, that Ruvain slaughtered an animal, where on their own, that testimony doesn't accomplish anything, as opposed to Eidim, that the ox gored, or that Ruvain kidnapped Shimon, where even though other witnesses are needed in order to get to the final judgment, But these witnesses do set up the case for those final witnesses to build on. So if they turn out to be Zomamin, they do have responsibility.